0: Well, here's what I'm talking about this morning. What I want to talk to you, the topic I want to cover with you this morning is I want to talk about evangelism and mission, all right? Evangelism and mission. And this is the idea that the church and Christians really exist to receive the message from God. And then once we've received the message from God, our job really as a church and as followers of Jesus is to go out on mission and to be in evangelism. This has everything to do With spiritual warfare, because I'll tell you, I'll tell you the truth about the American church in particular is that three and a half thousand churches close their doors every single day. And for those of us who grew up in a large church or if you've had a mega church experience, it's hard to believe, but it's happening all the time. When Sherry and I lived out in Boston, for example. Churches are closing down left and right. Their buildings are being used for banks. I mean, it, it's insane. Uh, but as, as a country and as a culture, we're shutting down more churches than we're opening. And here's the other thing is that most churches in America are plateauing, that there's very little growth happening in churches, that fewer people are, uh, are being engaged. In fact, the average attendance in an American church is 75 people. It's hard to believe, isn't it? When you take it all together, average is 75 people, which means that even though we're a small church, we're larger than the average American church. We're actually considered a medium-sized church, which is very interesting. That shouldn't encourage us. That should, that's a problem, right? Because there's a lot of people that really need to hear the message from God, and that's what mission and evangelism is all about. Now, I am going to argue today, uh, well, I'm not going to argue, I'm a loving person, I don't argue, but I'm going to communicate to you the idea that the church exists for mission. And the reason why the church exists for mission is because the leader and the Lord of our church is Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is fundamentally and essentially a missionary. Jesus is fundamentally an evangelist. The whole reason for Jesus coming into the world is so that he could come in as a missionary and save us. Jesus didn't come into the world because he wanted to parade and say, oh, look at me, I'm so beautiful. He came because you and I were in an emergency situation. We were lost. We were in darkness. We were in rebellion. We were trapped by our own sin and our own bondages. We were trapped by the dry and thirsty land that is our world, and we had nothing to drink, and we were in darkness, and we were broken, and our relationship with God was separated, and our relationship with each other was separated, everything needed reconciliation and so jesus the eternal son of god came into the world to push back darkness from my life to deliver me and to save me and to forgive me and there's a great picture a metaphor if you will from the bible that describes this missionary activity of jesus comes in isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7 it says in isaiah chapter 52 verse 7 In a context, really, of prophecy about Jesus. Uh, This was written hundreds of years before Christmas, before he came into the world. But it says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. This is a great picture. it says how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. It's saying that Jesus has beautiful feet not not literally but Figuratively, in a metaphor way because that's a great picture, isn't it? The feet of Jesus. He didn't wait for us to come to heaven. He didn't wait for us to get our life together. He didn't say, you better get a check up from the neck up or else I'm not going to accept you. What he did is he says, I'm going to put on some shoes and I'm going to come to you. I'm going to walk to you. I'm going to run to you. I'm going to leave heaven and glory and angels. I'm going to enter a womb and then I'm going to enter a cave and then I'm going to enter an impoverished uh, 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 town and I'm going to come from a teenage virgin, and I'm going to come into this world, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my feet, and I'm going to come to you in your bondage, in your darkness, because you're trapped by your own sin, by the world, and by the devil and demonic forces that are keeping you from knowing God. I'm going to save and deliver you. How beautiful are the feet that bring the good news of the gospel of salvation. How beautiful are the feet that have come to me in my own brokenness in my own bondage, in my own oppression, and saved me. The whole reason I'm up here even opening a Bible, the whole reason I'm even worshiping or singing to God is because Jesus came to me as a missionary. He brought evangelism. He brought the kingdom of God. And you all know, listen, how many of you all know, people aren't going to come to the church. The church has to go to people. And there's not one of you here in an honest moment who could say, oh, no, I would have gone to God. I would have gone to God on my own. No, you wouldn't have. You love God because God first loved you. You love God because God first loved you. You worship God because God forgave you. He came to you. He awakened and enlightened the eyes of your heart so that you could conceive of something that you wouldn't have done on your own. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Jesus came as a missionary. Now, listen, when he came as a missionary, you know he wasn't wearing high heels. He wasn't wearing pretty shoes. See, there's different shoes for different activities. Y'all realize this, right? I mean, if I go to a dance with my wife, I'm going to get all dressed up in a tux. I'm going to wear uncomfortable things, right? But if I go and play tennis with my daughter, right, and I get my agassiz on, that's my generation, Right? I get my agassiz on. Now I'm going to put on some tennis shoes. Or some of you, how many of y'all are runners? Y'all got, got runners? Oh, yeah, I got, got a lot of runners. All right. And so you, there's all these fancy shoes. In fact, some of those shoes that you have to use for running, you got to spend actually quite a lot of money on those running shoes. I'm surprised at how expensive they are, right? So you put on different shoes according to the occasion. But when you're a missionary like Jesus, you don't put on high heels, you put on war boots. Because in order for Jesus to save us, he had to engage in battle and do war and go into darkness and fight back the powers of darkness. It was a battle of intense fury when jesus came into this world to save us his feet might be beautiful but the shoes he's wearing aren't pretty amen Ooh, that would work on tv see and so a great picture of these beautiful feet coming into war and engaging in war to save us comes from mark in fact go to the gospel of mark and this is so incredible listen if you don't know God today, I am so I'm so glad you're here because I want you to know this is what God does. This is what God is doing in your life. He He is He. It's not you know. It's not sentimental religion that He's giving you. It's not a denomination He's giving you. It's not a pretty church that He's given to you. It's not It's not some fluffy thing. He is engaging in war. He's going to battle for you and I today. Jesus has his war boots on as a missionary. To save us. And when we go to Mark chapter 5, verse 1, we get a great picture in his own earthly ministry of this war and the beautiful feet that aren't wearing pretty shoes save us. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. This is a great picture. It says, they, that's Jesus and his disciples, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This is always a sign of demonic activity when we're destroying our own life, when we're in bondage. And all culture can give us is just band-aids to kind of put us over in the corner to kind of say, well, you just get over there and kind of take this band-aid, take this drug, take this thing. But stay away from us. Certainly stay away from the church. Stay away from religion. You are not right That's a Roman military term for a group of soldiers, a group of Roman soldiers. So these demons are presenting themselves as as military warriors fighting this man. For we are many. And he begged him earnestly, that is, the demons begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And so he gave them permission And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. Everybody say right mind. Jesus is engaging in war, beautiful feet but not pretty shoes. He's got warrior boots on. He came into the world to put us in our right mind, to deliver us from darkness because he is a missionary. There he is. He's sitting there in his right mind, and they, that is the townspeople, they're afraid. You want to know why they're afraid? Because Billy Bob, who's been possessed by these thousands of demons, is suddenly in his right mind, and they're going, what the heck's happening? Billy Bob is normal, and that's not normal. And the reason why Billy Bob, I have no idea why I'm using that name. That's special for you, not used in the first service. (laughs) I don't know where these things come from. But the reason why Billy Bob is in his right mind is because Jesus left heaven and came to earth and engaged and pushed back the darkness from his life to save him. God wants to save you. God wants to deliver you. God, God in Jesus Christ is telling you that his whole reason for existence, God loves to save and change and transform people. Lost people matter to God. And that's very important because we once were lost, but now we're found. We once were blind, but now we see. We once were deaf, but now we can hear things. And the whole reason why... Is because Jesus engaged in missionary activity. In fact, this passage in Mark chapter 5 is unprecedented because here is a Jewish rabbi, Jesus, going into a Gentile land. And the reason why we know this is a land of Gentiles is why? Because there's pigs, there's a pig farm, right? Now, we know Jewish people don't keep pigs. Gentile people do. The Gerasenes was a Gentile populated area. And Jesus, for the first time in his earthly ministry, is stepping on shore in uncharted territory with the biblical message. That's not just for Jews, but for Gentiles. And that's why Satan really engaged Jesus with a legion of demons to try to stop him. Because Satan knew, well, he can have the Jewish people. But now he's extending the kingdom of God to people who have never heard it before, and, of course, even the legion, even the thousands of demons were no match for the war and the warrior that is Jesus Christ. You're like, Josh, why, why, why are you going through all this? Number one, because I want you to know what God is doing for you, and I want you to enjoy his love. He loves you. He is coming into your life. And some of you are waiting to believe in him or you're waiting to really engage in worship and really enga- to engage your full spiritual life because you think God is waiting for you to fix your life. He's not. He's meeting you where you're at. He's coming to your shore, to your legions of demons, to your bondage, and he's setting you free. This is his heart to come to us. But The second thing is, is that... He now, once he saves us, is he wants us to be like him. He wants us to be missionaries. He wants our feet to be beautiful. He wants us to take the good news and just like him to go and to take the message as a church and as individuals, as disciples, he wants us to go and to engage in the spiritual war that is being a missionary and a witness for God and his kingdom and Jesus Christ. Once he saves us, he wants us to become like him. He wants us to be able to say about our feet, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel. You know, when I first uh, was dating Sherry, uh, we both had gotten saved. We became Christians, her and her early uh, young adult uh, years, me in my late teens. And so we, in our relationships previous to our own courtship we didn't know Jesus and we acted like it in other relationships you know what I'm saying and I don't want to get x-rated but you know what I'm saying and then we met each other and we knew Jesus and we were committed to waiting until our wedding night right uh, before we consummated the marriage and I gotta say that was hard but anyways we made it, but one thing is, is that we used to hang out and stuff like that, and we'd watch movies and stuff, and we'd kick off our socks or whatever. We'd kick back while we were dating, but I never took off my socks. She was like, why don't you take off your socks? And I was like, because my, my feet are jacked up, right? and if you see my feet, you're not going to marry me, see, and I want you to marry me, and so you can't see my feet until after our wedding night. <laughs> She was like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of before in my life. Take off those socks. And have you ever seen Phantom of the Opera, you know? And he, like, takes off the mask, you know? And he's like, okay, I will. And he takes off the mask. And she's like, and she passes out. And I was like, baby, it's going to be Phantom of the Opera all over. You're going to pass out. You can't. She's like, take off the socks. So I took off one of my socks, right? And I took it off, and I was like, bah! And she was like, she was like, (laughs) I still love you, you know. But about a week later, because I told her all the time when we were down, I was like, now listen, I'm going into ministry. which probably means I'll be poor for the rest of my life. So if you marry me, this is going to be really tough, you know. And you're not going to have jaguars or anything. And, uh, and, but she wrote me a card a week later, and she had that verse from Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, it quotes that passage, how beautiful are the feet of them that bring the gospel Our feet are beautiful when we are missionaries like Jesus. Our feet are beautiful. When we are taking the gospel And I am arguing today That the whole reason the church exists Is for mission The mission of the church is not community The community of the church exists for mission The community and the reason why we are here today Why we get into life groups Why we get together Is to reach people And to take the gospel like Jesus Into the darkness of people's lives To engage in demonic and powerful darkness To push back the darkness to proclaim and publish the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who have never heard it before. Missionary activity is not just something that happens overseas, though we give 10% of our budget to overseas missionaries. Missionary activity is something that's happening in East Peoria, something that's happening in Morton, something that happens in all of our lives. And we are not doing spiritual war. We're wearing high heel spiritual shoes if we are not engaged in the central activity of the church that is missions. You are a missionary. Think about it. Well, go to Ephesians chapter 6. That's my introduction. I'm going to have to split up this sermon into two weeks because i got a big red clock staring me down. There's no way I'm going to get through all this stuff. So congratulations, whoever... Actually, Matt Wake. He told me at first. Time, it was Matt Wake, Isaac, who put that up there. I'm gonna get him. Isaiah six, or uh, Ephesians six. Sorry, Ephesians chapter six and verse ten. Now watch this. It's talking about spiritual warfare. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. We've talked about that. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We've talked about that. And here it is. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now the issue with verse 15, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, the issue comes down to two interpretations of this verse. According to the English Standard Version, the, the translation I'm reading this morning, what this means is that shoes for your feet is readiness that comes to you from the gospel of Peace. In other words, the gospel of Jesus, that he died and rose again and came into my life to forgive me, that this gives me peace with God, there's one interpretation that says that it gives me steadiness. It gives me security. It helps me to stand. It's subjective, right? Uh, the, the shoes are, let the gospel give you security. Let the gospel help you to stand there. That's one interpretation, but another interpretation, and some of the English translations in the Greek could go either way, so it requires context to interpret it rightly. But another translation is, or, or interpretation, is that the shoes are the readiness given for, everybody say for. That's subjective, not subjective, but for the gospel of peace, that the shoes is a readiness, right? Like you're doing this, okay? Like, see these shoes? They're really nice-looking, but on the bottom, they're athletic, so I can do that while I'm preaching. See, I'm ready. And I'm ready for preaching, which means I'm ready to preach to you this morning, right? So are the shoes, peace given to me from the gospel so I can stand, or should the interpretation be the shoes are I'm ready to go out into the world for the gospel and for Jesus and to be a witness and to do evangelism and to do missionary work? Is it a subjective genitive? Or is it an objective genitive? In fact, let me give you a translation that points to what I think it is. Another good translation of the Bible is the Homan Christian Standard. And here's how it translates the Greek. This is interpretive. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. And your feet sandaled. I don't like that, sandaled. That's kind of wimpy sounding, but... And your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. That's a big big issue of how you read this text. I read it that the emphasis is on objective. That the shoes are missionary shoes for the very reasons that I've been communicating to you this morning. Isaiah 52. How beautiful are the feet. That that proclaim the gospel, see? Beautiful feet are ready to be a missionary. Beautiful feet as a church is your missionary church, an evangelistic church. Beautiful feet publish and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So based on the context of all of Scripture, Isaiah, Romans chapter... In fact, let's go to Romans chapter 10. We'll start. We'll start. We'll start in verse thirteen. All right, Romans chapter ten. If you don't have a Bible, that's cool. Just listen, um, and and let the words engage your mind. But Romans chapter ten and verse thirteen. Take a drink of water. And verse thirteen it says, "For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." How do I become a Christian? By faith, and I call on the name of the Lord, I call on Jesus Christ, come and save me. And he says, I will do that. Verse 14. But how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel or the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what they have heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. So the gospel shoes, or the shoes for spiritual warfare, is your willingness to go and be a witness and to be a missionary for Jesus Christ. Um, and, and, and to go out and, and everything like that. And Satan and demons is trying everything in their power to stop the church and to stop Christians from doing this. So I would say from this that we should define the church as a missionary outpost and a missionary organization to do evangelism in the world. Now, based on that idea, the question comes down to... There are some objections uh, to this uh, and to defining and to putting emphasis on evangelism and missionary as the main thing that we're supposed to do as a church. And, uh, and that's what I'm saying. I'm saying based on the Bible and what the Bible says and based on this text from Ephesians that we are not being a church focused unless we are all about evangelism and missions as our, prior, as our priority and our primary means of expressing ourselves, and there's some objections and obstacles. I'm going to try to get through some of them today, and then next week I'll get practical about how we can put on, take off our high heels as a church, See, because a lot of churches are wearing high heels and not gospel, missionary boots, okay, a lot of high heels in the church, and a lot of churches acting like they're wearing high heels and not missionary boots. So we're going to talk about how to take off our high heels and put on our missionary boots. And then we're also going to talk practically and in a positive way about how to be better witnesses for Jesus uh, next week. So, but let me talk about some objections and obstacles to us putting on these shoes that are ready for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the main objection that I've heard in my ministry so far. Uh, Objection is, so what you're saying, Pastor Josh, is that you are more concerned about evangelism than discipleship in the church. You're saying that you're more concerned about missions than you are taking care of those whom we've already reached. You're more concerned in your ministry about reaching more people than making better people. You put all this emphasis on evangelism and missions and reaching more people and, 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 and being evangelistic, but you're forgetting that you should be all about discipleship. My answer comes to that objection, comes from Matthew chapter four and verse 19. What time is this service supposed to end, anyways? I forgot. It's 1123 right now, I know that. All right, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. It says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw, that's Jesus, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. This is a great picture of how Jesus is coming to them. He's coming into their workplace. He's meeting them where they're at. That's a great picture. In verse 19. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, what is a disciple? A disciple is... Is a student who follows a teacher. And so Jesus is inviting these guys, these brothers, to become his disciples. He's inviting them to discipleship. He's inviting them to be followers of him in this world. And the way they're going to become disciples is they're going to learn how to be fishers of men. And the point is that you cannot separate discipleship from evangelism. The, The two go together. In fact... There are a lot of so-called Christians that are in churches and they're learning all kinds of stuff about the Bible and, 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 and they're, they're taking really good notes and they got their favorite Bible teachers and they learn all of this material and all this information and they can run circles around most people on what the Bible says and what Christianity is all about, but they're not witnesses and they're not engaged in evangelism. And if we're not engaged in evangelism and missions as a church or as followers of Jesus, then we are not disciples, no matter how much we know. Being a disciple of Jesus is to be a fisher of men. The two go together. You can't be a disciple unless you're an evangelist. evangelist. And you can't be an evangelist unless you're being a disciple and following and learning from Jesus. And think about it. Think about it. How do I grow and mature in my prayer life? How do I grow and mature in my Bible understanding? How do I grow and mature in my dependence upon the Holy Spirit in my daily life? The way I do is I realize that I'm a missionary and I'm to be engaging my world for the glory of God. And I'm to talk to people about God. And when you hear God say, okay, I've saved you because I've come into your life. And now I'm sending you out with gospel boots to be ready for the gospel. And I need you to speak for me. I need you to be my witness. I need you to be a fisher of men. I need you to be my ambassador. You know what you're going to do? You're going to flip out, true or false. You're going to freak out. And you're going to go, man, i got to learn this stuff. So that when somebody asks me a question about what I believe, I know what the heck I'm talking about. Or if you're witnessing to Billy Bob down the street and you want him to be saved from eternal damnation and condemnation and to to come to know the God that you know is is all love, you're going to pray for him. Your your prayer life is going to increase. You're going to go to life group and you're going to talk to your life group about somebody that needs to know about God and you're going to get them to pray for you and for them. Everything in the church is a missionary resource. Giving, prayer, Bible reading, community groups. It's all about mission. All of it. This is not a recreational activity. This is not a social club. This is not a country club. This is not something we come and we put on our high heels and we look pretty for each other. And we got a pretty religion and a pretty denomination and, and a nice sentimental church. God saved us and now he's sending us to be his witnesses because life is short. This world will one day be judged and replaced by a new heavens and a new earth and a kingdom that's coming. And he said, do business until I return. Do the work of an evangelist until I return. That is discipleship. That is being a Christian. So that objection doesn't work. To be an evan- or. To be about discipleship is to be about evangelism. And to be an evangelist is to be a disciple. And as a church, we're not a mature. We could listen. We could offer free Mountain Dew and have smoke come out of our seats. We could have all these great things that we do as a church and have a fluffy, fake, casual, counterfeit Christianity. And, and, and we could we could attract all these crowds, right? But if they're not coming to repentance and to belief in Jesus, and they're not learning scripture like missionaries and being sent back out as witnesses, then it would all be vain. It would all be vain. So that's the objection. That doesn't work. Evangelism, discipleship go together. Let me talk about a few um, obstacles from objections to obstacles to us becoming effective witnesses. And to being an effective church, evangelistic church, all right? Let me give you the first one. The first one is, okay, what, what, You know, what's keeping our, our gospel boots off and keeping us in our high heels? Number one, legalism. Legalism keeps a church from being effective at having beautiful feet that's not wearing pretty shoes. I would define legalism like John Piper. John Piper has a great definition of legalism. Let me give this to you. There's two parts to it. Legalism, number one, is treating biblical standards of conduct as regulations to be kept by our own power in order to earn God's favor. So legalism is taking biblical standards of conduct to earn God's favor, and, and more importantly, to try to attempt to, to keep the regulations of God in our own power, and our own strength, with a mentality of, if I do this, then God will like me and there won't be condemnation. To earn God's favor, I'm going to keep his regulations in my own power. So you don't need the Holy Spirit. You don't need prayer. You don't need dependence. You just need innate ability and resources to keep the regulations of God. That's obviously legalism. God wants us to, our hearts to be changed, the Holy Spirit to uh, lead to inward transformation, an inside out transformation, not an outside in religion. But here's the second part of legalism. Number two, legalism is the erecting of specific requirements of conduct beyond, everybody say beyond. Beyond the teaching of Scripture and making adherence to them the means by which a person is qualified for full participation in the local family of God, the church. This is where unbiblical exclusivism arises. In other words, legalism is adding on to the regulations of the Bible. It's adding rules that the Bible don't even, doesn't even have. On to the rules of the Bible... And saying you have to adhere to these extra rules that are going to help you keep the regular biblical rules. So it's rules upon rules. And if you can keep those, then you can be a member of the church. And we will consider you qualified and spiritual and godly and biblical. Now, listen, I come from Oklahoma, which has legalism in it. But let me tell you something. I got to central uh, Illinois. And let me tell you something, man. There are some serious legalistic churches around these parts. Amen? Amen. And they got all kinds of rules that are extra and not biblical, right? What you can wear, how you put on makeup, right? Extra rules that the Bible has nothing, doesn't talk about or anything like that. And this obviously gets in the way of mission. I mean, in order to be a part of some of these legalistic churches, you've got to be a type A personality, have perfect Excel spreadsheets, be somebody who, I mean, just to get into the front door, you've got to have your life completely together. Amen? That's legalism. Well, yeah, I mean, you can know God and experience God if you do these 20 things and don't do these other 150 things. That's legalism. That is legalism. (laughs) I just, you know, I just really want to encourage you. If, you know, sometimes we think, man, God's not going to like me until I clean up my life. God's not going to accept me until I do the right thing, say the right thing, wear the right thing. And I want you to know the problem with legalism is it doesn't acknowledge that when Jesus died on the cross for sins, he paid the full price. He paid the full price. He didn't pay half the price and say, "I'll put half down, you pay the other half." He paid the full price for our sins. And it is it is an affront to Jesus and his work on the cross when we say, "Oh, I've got to do these 10 things in order for God to like me." Legalism is crushing its soul sucking it creates religious zombies who eat people. And when those people have been eaten by these religious legalists, they die and they come back to life and then they go and eat people. That's legalism. It, it's so bad. Go to, go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I did this in the first service kind of on the, on the cuff and I don't want to leave you out. Luke. 15. Here's a great picture of what legalism does to mission. Great picture. Luke 15. Starting in verse 1, it says Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That is Jesus. Why are tax collectors and sinners drawing near to Jesus? Because he's got beautiful feet. Because he's, he's got his gospel. He, his boots are on for the gospel and the kingdom of God and the message that God saves sinners. And so they're naturally drawn to him because they see that he's coming to them. He's hanging out with these sinners to save them and to change them. But here come the legalists. Verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. All oh, legalists always grumble. Amen. Have you ever been in a legalistic church before? It is so much fun watching legalists grumble. That's all they do. They just grumble. (laughs) (laughs) Sinners. Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. Saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders. This is Jesus. He he came to us, and we were broken. We were away. We were so far away from God. And he comes. He leaves the ninety-nine religious people. He comes after us. He puts us on his shoulders. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing... And when he comes home, so it's not like Jesus comes after you and he, and he, and he gets you out there and the he's like, I'm going to leave the platform. I'm going to come all the way down here to where you're at. Oh, my God. I'm going to put you on my shoulder. Jeez. Golly, you suck. All right. I'm going to bring you back. Oh, my gosh. I am exhausted now because of you. Boom. You know what it says? It says Jesus comes all the way to where we're at, puts us on his shoulders, and says, I found you. Look at you. And and here we are. Is this crazy? Let me take you back. You want to go back? And you're like, yeah. (laughs) Let me take you back. And I got these great friends. And my friends are going to be happy that you are here, even though you got a broken leg or you've been stupid or you were running into the same wall over and over again. They're going to rejoice with you because they're my friends. And my friends have all been saved by me. And they are so glad you're here. Legalism could never allow for this kind of not only truth, not only activity, but attitude. Everybody say attitude. Oh, the attitude of celebration, the attitude of joy, the attitude of I was lost now. In fact, you were lost too? No way. So was I. So my family so dysfunctional. No way. So was I. I'm so jacked up. No, so was I, right on. And God met us there. He met us there. Verse 6, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. He is fluffy and messed up. And just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Boom, right there in the Pharisees. I mean, he's talking to the Pharisees and that's boom. You know what he was telling those religious legalists? He was saying to them, he was like, like, you know what, angels really like lost people more than you. This is Luke's theme. Luke loves this about Jesus. Luke is the gospel where Jesus says, the the righteous don't need a doctor. They don't need a physician. No, you guys are all right, you religious legalists. You don't need God. I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sick. I didn't come for healthy people, together people. I came for the sick. You see, legalism sets up all these rules and regulations and just an overall attitude of, well, yeah, God and the Bible and religion and Jesus, that's all nice, but we got some work to do. And what it always does, listen, here's what legalism does, and this is why it hurts a church in our own missionary activity in our life. Legalism hurts us, number one, it makes people incredibly insecure on the inside. They come to church, they engage in religious activities out of insecurity. I hope God likes me now. I hope I'm doing it right. I hope I can get this consistently right. Oh, my God. And they are so insecure on the inside. Pharisees are radically bent over with insecurity. Because they're constantly wondering if they're godly enough. They're constantly wondering if their children are godly enough. They're constantly comparing themselves to other people. And they're so insecure. But then on the outside, what it does is it creates pride and arrogance and judgmentalism against other people. Because on the outside, Pharisees will always stand like this. They will always be like, you are not good enough. But on the inside, they're like scared little children. These religious legalists, they're just like scared little children on the inside. You know what that, they're kind of like, they're kind of like church bullies, you know what I mean? You know how kids are bullies and the reason why they're bullies is why, why is a kid a bully on the playground? Because his home life's jacked up because he's so insecure about himself or herself. And they're trying to feel better about themselves, and so they pick on the weaker link. They pick on the the one that's easy to pick on so that they can feel better about themselves and bigger about themselves. And that's what legalism always does. It creates insecurity on the inside, spiritual, religious bullying on the outside. And so when lost people even attempt to come close to a message about God or spirituality, and they sense that legalism, they're like, I'm out, man. Because there's no way I could live up to that. And Jesus says about legalism, listen, and next week we'll talk about the next two obstacles. I'll give them to you now traditionalism and syncretism. I'll talk about those two things next week, and then we'll get positive. But listen, legalism always, always kills the church and kills mission because it creates a community of people who are radically insecure. They depend upon outside things to make themselves so called feel better about themselves. And they create a sectarian group of people who say, well, we're better than them. At least we're better than them. At least we're better than those people. That's legalism. Man, that is some, that's high heels, man. That is not gospel boots on the ground. And Satan uses legalism. And legalism is the greatest enemy to the church. Out of anything I'll talk about, legalism has always been the greatest enemy to the church. Who killed Jesus? Who killed Jesus? Legalist. Legalist. Who killed Jesus? Religious people killed Jesus. They hated him. Because he outlined, he said, you can be religious all you want, but until you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, until you've been born again, until you have been forgiven of your sins, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile, religious or Roman, it doesn't matter, you have to be saved by me. I am the only way to God. And they hated that about him. All right, my big red clock says I need to pray. Let's pray. Jesus, you are phenomenal in forgiveness, infinite in holiness, and complete in salvation. And I thank you that you came into this world. How beautiful are the feet that bring the good news, and you did it. You engaged in warfare against darkness and Satan and demons and our sin, and you defeated them all. You faced our greatest enemy, which is death, and you overcame death. In your resurrection. You died to be our savior. You're alive to be our Lord. You come into our heart to change us. And we just thank you for that. And all of us who have been walking with you for any amount of time. We're all tempted by legalism. We're all tempted by uh, our, our own view of your church. But help us God to repent. To change our mind in any area where we consider your church anything less than mission. Help us to be on mission. Help us to walk in this truth. Make us fishers of men together as a community. If you don't know Jesus today, I just encourage you to receive him into your life. He is coming into your world on the shores of your life. He wants to eradicate and evict darkness from your life. And he says, anybody who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. So receive him today. And we're gonna have a baptism service here in a month. I just, I just, after you've believed in Him, if you're a believer and haven't been baptized, I encourage you to sign up, get baptized. I will follow up with you. But, but let's just ask God to help us as a church and as people to represent Him. Thank you, Jesus, for being here. In Jesus' name, Amen.